Hello and welcome. You are listening to Embodied Curiosity. In this show, we will explore self-compassion and holistic health through the lens of embodiment, intuition, nature connection, and neuroscience. I'm your host, Michaela, and I'm so excited for you to join me. Hey, welcome back. I have been rereading one of my favorite books, Women Who Run With the Wolves by Clarissa Pinkola Estes. This book has been so impactful in my life, and I wanted to share my thoughts and insights as I read through each chapter. This is set up sort of like a virtual book group, so feel free to get a copy of the book and follow along with me. I also uploaded video versions of these episodes on my YouTube channel. You can find my channel by just searching my name, Michaela Rands, or you can click the link in the description. I hope you gain some insights as I share my process with the stories in this powerful little book. Hey, welcome back to another episode where I'll be talking about one of my favorite books, Women Who Run With The Wolves. I just wanted to start too by mentioning that it takes me a while in between each chapter to make these videos and record these. And there's a lot of reasons for that. One, every chapter is a journey. They're so long, these chapters. And so it takes a lot to try and condense it down. And I don't always feel like I do even a very good job. It's really hard to summarize (laughs) everything in them. They're like, they're like a lifetime of, of work. um, It feels like, and each of these stories and archetypal arcs are just so massive that trying to condense them down into a 15 to 20 minute video is really challenging. (laughs) I also just want to acknowledge and state that I have a lot of resistance to sitting down and actually doing this. Like I'll read the chapter um, and then like weeks will go by and I'll have to reread the chapter so that I have it more fresh in my mind and And then, of course, it'll be like a rainy day, or I won't have good lighting, or I just won't feel up for it for whatever reason. And I think a lot of the resistance is just how hard it is for me still to be recorded and to be like looking at a camera, recording myself speaking. (laughs) So I just want to state that because I think saying that out loud and sharing that um, helps me feel more relaxed somehow. And... Hopefully it helps other people feel like it's really normal to feel kind of terrified. I don't really have a reason why, like there's not like a conscious reason in my mind why I don't want to record these. It's just like, I just have these like physical symptoms, like my heart beats really fast and I um, find myself like, yeah, putting it off or doing other things or yeah, there's just a resistance to recording these. But I think the more that I do... I'm hoping the more that I do, the more um, natural it'll feel and the more I'll start to hopefully ignore the camera (laughs) because that's really the hard part. And I think even over the time I've been doing this over the last year or so, um, it's gotten a little bit better. But still, when I go for like a couple months break, then it's hard to get back into it. (laughs) So here I am sharing anyway, despite the discomfort that I feel. This still feels 
um, like an important project to to complete. Um, and I'm grateful for all the encouragement and the comments and whoever is watching. I'm grateful for you. So today I'm really excited to share my kind of insights and thoughts on chapter six in Women Who Run With The Wolves. And I actually read it this time on my Kindle. So it's a little more uh, easy to pack with me when I travel around. Um, so chapter six is called Finding One's Pack, Belonging as Blessing. And as you can tell from the title, the themes here that are brought up are themes along the lines of belonging, um, community, a lot of themes around like how we as individuals relate to our families and our social groups and our towns that we grow up in and all the different communities that we find ourselves in um, and how how it feels when you don't quite fit in and what to do about it. So I think this is super relevant for everyone. Um, I definitely have a lot of big stories in my life around community and around belonging. Um, so this chapter is always really moving to me. I did find that this time around, I got a slightly different, um, some different insights than I have in the past. Uh, so that in some ways it feels like I've healed past some of my, some of the stuff that I've gone through in the past. So that's exciting. Um, but so as I read it, it was less, um, heart wrenching and more, um, yeah, I could see myself in the, in the full story instead of just in partial part of the story. So seeing that completion cycle of being, um, part of communities being, leaving those communities or maybe being exiled from those communities and then going through a time of feeling lost and feeling like a victim or feeling like a survivor even and transmuting that into someone that can thrive and finding new communities and realizing the community within yourself and your connection to yourself and your connection to nature and how those are things that are always going to be there. So that is a good thing. <laughs> That's where I feel like my overall summary is at. The story that um, that she uses to depict this archetypal story is The Ugly Duckling. So it's a super famous story. I'm sure you've heard of it. Um, I only really remember it like in a very short version. And she has a really great, longer, more detailed version written in this book. So I definitely recommend um, reading the story. But I'll try and give a quick synopsis. Basically, uh, there's a duck mother, and she's sitting on her, her nest of eggs, and they all start hatching, but the one that's left, it's a little bigger the, than the other eggs, and it takes a little longer for it to hatch, and she already is getting warnings from the other ducks, like, uh, this, that something's not right, like, this bigger egg is, is not really supposed to be here. Someone says, this, is, this might be a turkey, you should get rid of it. So the mother... Um, uh, is still is already kind of clued in that something is something is off about this egg, but she still defends the egg. She still decides to sit on the egg and mother the egg until the egg hatches. And instead of uh, what her other ducklings look like, something else comes out that is perceived by her and by all the rest of the ducks as ugly. They just straight up tell that duckling that it's ugly. <laughs> and that's why the story is called The Ugly Duckling. And the duck just has really different like coloring and 
weird um, shapes to its body. And it's clear because we know the story from being kids that it's probably not a duck, but the mother insists that it is her duck and she will care for it. So she tries to care for it. And after, after a while, just all of the other um, members of the community and of the family are just so mean to this duck and so mean to the mother for taking care of this duck. Um, they bully the duck and, and the duck, um, is just being tormented. And finally the mother breaks and just says, I can't do this anymore. Um, you need to leave. Like, I don't want you around. So the, the ugly duckling has to leave its family as a really young duck and Long story short, it's a, it goes through many cycles of finding um, different communities, different places to kind of hide out for a little while. And the the ugly duckling is near death many times. Um, it's it's close to getting shot by hunters, and then it almost freezes in a lake. And that's one of the few moments in the story where the ugly duckling catches a break, and a man actually comes and helps break the ice and take the ugly duckling out of the ice and cares for the ugly duckling a little bit until the ugly duckling kind of falls out of that situation as well. And, and just going from house to house and, um, different communities of animals, um, until one day the ugly duckling sees flying overhead, these beautiful creatures, they're, they're flying and they're large and white and they have long necks. And there's something about these creatures that the ugly duckling is just so, drawn to and it gives the ugly duckling hope it gives it gives it this kind of resilience <laughs> for going forward and anyway the ugly duckling makes it through the winter just barely is really not doing well and as the spring comes the ugly duckling is feeling a lot of hope and the world is coming back alive and finally the ugly duckling sees these white beautiful creatures that had seen in the fall flying overhead and sees them in the pond and they start moving towards moving towards the ugly duckling and he's super worried like this is the end like they're gonna kill me or they're gonna beat me up just like everybody else um but instead uh they circle around him and they say you're one of us and the ugly duckling looks in his reflection in the in the pond and sees Instead of this like ugly, veiny, gray, purple thing, he sees this beautiful, white, long-necked swan. Um, he figures out that he can fly, and the rest is history. So I think, I think this story, um, it's clear the metaphor is here, and I'm really glad that, that she wrote it out in a much longer, more drawn-out way. Each of the different parts of the story, as usual, represent different things symbolically. Um, the ice represents being frozen, uh, creatively or emotionally and the different, the different members of the different groups that are ostracizing this duck, um, represent different communities that we might fall into throughout our life just when we're looking for belonging. So I thought it was a really powerful story to read through. Um, the other thing that's a really big theme in this chapter is the mother complex. So uh, Clarissa Pinkola Estes talks a lot about these different kinds of mothers. And the different kinds of mothers are, the first one is the ambivalent mother. So this is the, when the mother is divided emotionally. Um, the mother knows that the world 
in the, in the story, for example, the mother duck knows that um, this ugly duckling is going to have a really hard time. So it, it wants to protect the duck, but it also is wanting to protect itself. And there's there's threats to its life, to its own belonging, and she eventually can't cope with the threats anymore. So the ambivalent mother, uh, the analogy would be a mother that that really wants to care for her child, her wildish child in this case, um, but is having a hard time making sense of how to basically protect the child while still protecting herself and in the meantime really does not do a good job of nurturing the wildish self in in the child. The other types of mothers that are depicted in this story are the collapsed mother, the child mother, and the unmothered mother. And these are just all different um, archetypes within the mother complex that are kind of shown through the duck mother in the story. Um, But the author goes on to explain more in depth what each of these means. Um, But generally speaking, these types of mothers, either in real life or again within your psyche, this type of mother energy that is wounded or incomplete um, is unable to really nurture the wildish self of of the of the wild woman archetype um, within each child so really what this is talking about this chapter in general is talking about the wild woman archetype in a child and how that shows up um, sometimes in communities sometimes that fits in great depending on the community Um, some communities really nurture and value wildish aspects of the psyche but other communities do not and some families do not as well and so some of these mother archetypes might exist in some of those less nurturing cultures. Uh, The last mother archetype of the mother complex that she addresses is the strong mother and the strong child. And these are kind of describing more of an ideal. I want to share this quote. Even if you have the most wonderful mother in the world, you may eventually have more than one. As I have often told my own daughters, you are born to one mother, but if you are lucky, you will have more than one. And among them all, you will find most of what you need. Your relationships with todas las madres, the many mothers, will most likely be ongoing ones, for the need for guidance and advisory is never outgrown, nor from the point of view of women's deep creative life should it ever be. And I love that she brings this up, that you can have many mothers. And I feel like in my life, I have had the luck and the blessing to have had many women older than me in my life to mentor me in in many ways. So that relationship with other women of all ages is so vital to really nurturing the full wildish self. So back to the theme of exile, this really is about getting exiled from a community and why this is such an important part of the soul's journey. Why can't we just all live, um, be born into an amazing family with an amazing community where we belong, where we're accepted, and then find our tribe um, immediately and never have to go through um, a journey of, of not belonging and then belonging? Why is it that our soul needs to go through that? And maybe not everyone goes through that. That's something to reflect on with this chapter. Like, Have you gone through this? Um, How many times have you gone through this? You know, for me, I definitely feel I've been pretty lucky in my belonging in in a lot of ways to my 
actual biological family. I feel really close to my siblings. Um, I feel pretty close to my parents. You know, we've had our struggles, but also my my wider family really does prioritize um, community, and that's been that's been incredible. So I feel really blessed. I don't think that's a common thing, um, but there's still been struggles, and there's still been times where, um, in my own kind of growing up and growing through being a teenager and a young adult wanting to step away from that and set myself apart. And there's been an emotional depth that maybe I've been seeking um, in a different community. And I have been part of other communities. There was another community that I was a part of for many years that I went through a really uh, tragic exiling um, from. And it happens to be one of my biggest um, kind of traumas and wounds that I've had to deal with in my life. But that question of why I go through this, it's, I'm at the point now where I've healed enough that I see that there was so much value in that. Instead of thinking, oh, like the best years are behind me or (laughs) um, the past uh, is looming or any of that, I try and just see that the resilience that these experiences have given me and the the discernment of knowing um, who to trust and who... Um, who I really belong with as I go through this life has been super valuable. So she talks a lot about the value of this journey. If you happen to be on this journey or have gone through this journey, there's a quote I want to read. It is worse to stay where one does not belong at all than to wander about lost for a while and looking for the psychic and soulful kinship one requires. It is never a mistake to search for what, what one requires. Never. So basically it's this idea that the search itself is worth the journey. And if you already are a part of a community, but you don't really feel belonging, um, if you feel um, criticized or bullied or like you have to fit into a box um, and you can't be your full self, it is worth venturing out into the world and trying on different communities, um, making new friends and finding your people. And through this journey, uh, it may be messy, um, but just know that you are, you are working towards something. There's another quote that I think really spoke to this. Though a woman may look scattered when she has lost touch with the life she values most and is running around trying to recapture it, she is most often gathering information, taking a taste of this, grabbing up a paw of that. At the very most, one might briefly explain to her what it is that she is doing, then let her be. As soon as she processes all the information from the clues she's gathered, she'll be moving in an intentional manner again. Then the desire for membership in the uncombed cat and cross-eyed hen club will diminish to nothing. So she references in the story, I didn't mention this, but there's a, there's a part where the ugly duckling stumbles upon an, uh, a house with an old woman and she has an uncombed cat and a cross-eyed hen. And right away this ugly duckling does not belong because they they perceive him to have nothing of value um so it's it's just that idea that when you're looking for belonging um in in the beginning a lot of times we'll kind of take whatever we can get something that's been a theme for me is um when i feel in low self-worth i will basically just um anyone who comes along that will hang around me or um, accept me in any way, even if it's not fully, I will like, I could latch onto them. And I've done this in the past where instead of thinking about 
what kind of friends I want to have or what kind of desires I have around friendship and around community. I just take the first person that shows up. And um, that's not always a bad thing because sometimes magic can happen in that way. But a lot of times that ends up looking like very one-sided relationships, relationships that aren't um, serving you, that aren't honoring you, that aren't lifting you up and making you thrive and making you a better person. And so that's what she's referring to with the uncombed cat and cross-eyed hen club. Um, There's a desire for that when you are desiring belonging, um, but eventually you will find um, a way out of those situations if they're not serving you. Which brings me to this quote, the hallmark of the wild nature is that it goes on. It perseveres. This is not something we do. It is something we are naturally and innately. So just notice, notice when you have persevered through these things and um, remind yourself of those victories. Finally, we get to near the end of the story when the ugly duckling finds its tribe. It finds the other swans and realizes it is a swan itself. And it's amazing because at first he's worried that uh, the swans are going to bully him too. And he, he's feeling all of the apprehension around belonging that he's felt throughout his life so far. And similarly, in life, uh, we might feel this excitement when we find people who accept us, um, but there, there might still be some leftover mistrust of, is this really going to work out? And it's okay, just lean into that slowly and know that it's okay to protect yourself as well if you've been hurt, um, but know that it's normal to have this kind of apprehension. She writes, one would think that now that they're on their own psychic ground, they would be deliriously happy. But no, for a time at least, they're terribly distrustful. Do these people really regard me? Am I really safe here? Will I be chased away? Can I really sleep with both eyes closed now? Is it all right to act like a swan? After a time, these suspicions fall away and the next stage of coming back to oneself begins acceptance of one's own unique beauty that is the wild soul from which we are made and I love that that brings the full story to completion Um, knowing that you're accepted by others helps you accept yourself Um, and really the story always eventually comes back to your inner world and your own community inside of yourself and your own acceptance of yourself Um, your inner critics and your inner bullies and your inner mothers. All of these things are part of this story as well. So she finishes off by talking a lot more about the soul needs, um, which is a common theme throughout this book. But I like this quote. It just says, what are soul needs? They lie in two realms, nature and creativity. So I found that to be really potent just to have it simplified like that. What is the basic nutrition for the soul? For some women, air, night, sunlight, and trees are necessities. For others, words, paper, and books are the only things that satiate. For others, color, form, and shadow, and clay are the absolutes. Some women must leap, bow, and run for their souls crave dance. Yet others crave only a tree-lined, tree-leaning piece. So it's really just bringing it back to those two big needs that we have are nature and connection to nature and creativity and connection to our creative wildish self whether that's like like she says painting dancing writing or any other creative pursuit that you feel passionate about so this brings me to the end and I want to share just a few questions that I came up with that are just general questions about 
what you what came up for you while listening to this or while reading the chapter. Um, basically, how does the story of the Ugly Duckling relate to your life? So for me, um, I've already sort of answered that, but there's definitely been some ebbs and flows for myself in belonging. Um, and generally speaking, my, my story doesn't line up exactly with Ugly Duckling, but I've definitely experienced um, going full into communities that I knew didn't really feel right. Um, maybe feeling fully right in a community, but then getting exiled or kicked out of that community in some way, or maybe exiling myself from a community, um, uh, knowing that I belong, but still not believing it, not accepting myself fully, uh, having uh, mixed feelings about family and about my chosen family versus my biological family. And for me, um, this is just a constant journey. And more recently, I've been um, thinking about this more. And I just moved out last winter out of a community house. And now I'm living more solo. And it it's, it's brought more of this craving um, for community. And in some ways, while living in a community house, I was starting to feel a little burnt out about being around people all the time. Um, but it's coming back around to now I'm, I'm really feeling into what I've known all along, which is that it's super important for me to feel belonging and to feel connection with others and with groups of people. And this year, especially with the pandemic, has brought this up a lot, I'm sure, for a lot of us. So these are just big priorities for me now. And the big shift for me has been my own self-acceptance, my own inner exile, healing that, moving out of this kind of survivor or victim mentality uh, and into kind of a thriving um, acceptance, acceptance of myself and a knowing that the right people will accept me and will like me in all of my bigness and all of my wildness and I don't need to hide parts of myself if I'm with the right community so that's kind of my answer and the other question I have is in what ways can you bring more nature and creativity into your life and maybe just an addition to that question would be what form of creativity is really speaking to you right now so it seems sort of unrelated but I really like how she weaved in this sort of inner exile topic around um, not uh, how to move through being frozen in your feelings, being numb, being frozen in your creativity, and to just uh, use your perseverance and your resilience to break through that and just start. And that's, um, for me, my answer is really like things like this, like really working through my resistances to filming um, these videos and to making my more creative videos, uh, to creating plant medicines. Um, these are things that if I just take one step towards it, then it really gets the ball rolling. And I feel so fed by it when I actually do it. So it's a good reminder for me to not um, get frozen and to keep moving. <laughs> I think that's the take-home message here is to keep moving and you're doing the right thing. Thank you for listening and I'll put those questions down below in the comments. Um, let me know what you think and I'll, I'll be starting the next chapter. The next chapter is chapter seven, the joyous body, the wild flesh. So as you can tell, this is going to be a fun one. Thanks.
Thank you for listening to Embodied Curiosity. I hope you picked up some valuable insights to inspire you to stay curious and embodied.